With the food fight, we just had to get it. And our DP and our setting him up went in handheld with trash bags over their heads and over their cameras. And we were just like, all right, everyone, you just have to go for it. And they will be in the food fight filming. But like, this is our one shot. Don't hold back. It was chaos. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Screen After Breeding. I'm Maureen Lee Linker, EW Senior Writer and your host. And today we are talking about Along for the Ride, which hit Netflix earlier this spring. It was originally a novel by Sarah Dessen, released in June 2009. And the novel focuses on Auden West, who is a young woman who has terrible insomnia because she used to stay awake all night due to her parents fighting in high school. This is takes place in the summer before she goes to college. She goes off to visit her father and his new wife, Heidi, and their brand new baby in Colby, which is a Carolina seaside town. And while she's there, she connects with a loner named Eli, who is also into BMX biking, and the two forge a connection. And through the course of the summer, Alden learns a lot about herself, her assumptions about other women friendship, and all the usual things that you learn along the way in a coming-of-age story. And today, I'm going to be joined by EW writer Sydney Buxbaum, who's going to be talking all things YA, why she loves Sarah Dessen, and the soft spot we both have for Sarah Dessen's emo bad boys. Welcome, Sydney. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Well, I asked you to be here today because I would say you are our resident YA expert on staff, both in terms of the books I know you're a fan of and the television you cover for us. So I guess let's start by asking, why do you love the YA genre? I'm a big fan of the YA genre. It is my all-time favorite genre. I think um, it's just it's what got me into reading when I was a young kid. And I, I just love how every YA story that I come across feels like the stakes are so much higher, the emotions are so much stronger. I just get pulled in by YA stories. So I think I'm just a YA at heart forever, no matter how old I get. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the beauty of YA storytelling. I mean, obviously, their target audience is preteens and teenagers, but they're relatable and enjoyable to read or watch no matter what age you are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are you a big fan of Sarah Dessen? You're about the same age as me. So I feel like you kind of grew up with her books the same way I did. Is that that the case? Yeah, I loved Sarah Dessen. She was one of my very first um, like authors that I knew that I loved. I wasn't just like reading random books. Like I whenever I found out that there was a new Sarah Dessen book coming out, I had to get it. I had to read it a million times. And so it's really cool to see some of her movies getting adapted into films now. It feels like a really cool blast from the past. Did you see the Mandy Moore, Sarah Dessen movie back in the day when we were like, probably in middle school? <laughs> I did. I loved it. I also was a big Mandy Moore fan back in the day too. So like she's now having a great resurgence thanks to This Is Us. And it just feels like everything is coming full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite Sarah Dessen book? And, and where does Along for the Ride fit in there? I loved Along for the Ride when it came out. It wasn't my all-time favorite. That would be The Truth About Forever. I loved mm. that one so much. Um, impatiently waiting for that to get <laughs> adapted. Into. Yeah, Netflix is going to do that one too, I think. <gasps> I think it's on their slate. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> when did you first read Along for the Ride? And, um, and what are your memories of first encountering it? 
I don't remember the first time I read it. I think I must have read it like pretty soon after it came out. Um, I just remember I really liked it, but I didn't I didn't connect with Auden in the same way that I connected with a lot of Sarah Dessen's um, main characters. So when it when I found out that it was being made into a movie, I wasn't too excited. But then I actually ended up loving the movie even more than I loved the book because it felt like such a different story. And then the character was so different from what I pictured her in the book. So it felt like something completely new. That was exactly what I was going to ask now. Like, did you enjoy the film and um, and what about it worked for you? Yeah, I, I loved the movie more than I expected. Um, I feel like they created a new kind of Auden that I that I wasn't expecting. She was a lot more like I felt more empathetic towards her in a way than I did in the book. And like I understood her a lot better. Um, it was it was interesting to see her kind of making choices based on like her own decisions rather than like in the book. I mean, the entire story is kind of inspired by her brother, like sending her a package and like her brother is like her main inspiration for why she goes to Colby. And so it was interesting to see that in the movie, she was kind of making these decisions on her own. And it, and it felt like a much more like empowered version of Auden than I remembered from the book. So that's why I, I really enjoyed watching this movie. I also really loved how they cast Heidi, um, her stepmother. I thought Kate Bosworth was so great and really was so perfect at towing that line between how Auden initially perceives her as this like really shallow, vapid woman and how you come to see that she is so much more than that. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the relationships between Heidi and Auden and even Auden's mom, especially at the end, how they kind of came to an understanding and had this really beautiful friendship because I mean, something that the movie did really well was really making you like hate Auden's father. And I did not ever expect to hate someone that Dermot Mulroney plays, but he he was just such a such a horrible person that you can't help but feel for all these women that are in his life that just want him to to be there for them. And he really is just so self-involved that he can't see that. And I so I love seeing all the women kind of come together by the end. I thought that that was a really beautiful um, story. Yeah. And I really loved all the changes they made, like bringing the beach and the sea life more into the story and sort of moving the prom at the end out to the water and having out and Eli have their first kiss at that party, like out in the ocean. I thought it was super fun. Yeah, absolutely. I when I first saw even the trailer, I was like, oh, this looks like the perfect summer movie. And even like watching the movie, you just get so much more of that, like, summer at the beach feel and and they really just brought that forward in almost every single scene and I it's now like to the point where I want to go to Colby and I, <laughs> I know that it doesn't exist but I would like to take a beach vacation there <laughs> yeah and then another key part of the story is that Eli used to be a professional BMX biker um and he's sort of lost his love for doing that after uh his friend that he competed with uh died in a car accident um, but I just was so impressed by like, this is like a light teen summer movie and they have really good BMX stunts on it. Yeah, I was shocked. At, for, at one point, I really thought that the actor Belmont was actually doing like the stunts. But then I found out that they they had an actual like stunt rider, but he he did learn how to do some of the tricks. So they were easily able to like edit them together. Um, but I, I was so impressed. It looked so real and it looked so good. 
Yeah, and I really liked how they incorporated Maggie and her love of biking much more into the storytelling. Like, you got a taste of it in the book, but it was fun to get to see a girl kicking ass on the course, too. Yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes. It was so just like celebratory, but didn't feel like over the top. It was just really cool to see because like I, you, you don't really get scenes like that in many YA movies. It's usually like the guy is doing some cool sport or something like that. And she she was awesome. I really loved that moment. Yeah. Now with the w- book adaptations in general, are you a big fan of that? Do you like to see them brought to the screen? Or are you always a little wary? Like, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I think I'm always going to be wary because one of my favorite book series was turned into a movie adaptation and it was so bad that it like, I- I'm still hurt by it. And they're, they're actually, they're redoing it into a, a new TV show now, which I'm still wary about, but I, I feel a little bit better about that it's going to get some redemption. But I, I do love seeing books come to life in a new medium because you not only get a whole new fan base for it because of that, but also just like, it's so cool to see how other people interpret the same story. Because I know when I read a book, I envision it in my head as if it's like a movie or TV show. And it's always so cool to see how different or how similar someone else's idea of that same book is. So, I mean, I I love it. Even when it's so different, like Along for the Ride really does feel like a completely different story in the movie than it did in the book. I I love seeing how creatively different this version of it was for the the filmmaker. Yeah, and I really love, too, that the bones of who all these people were were still very much there from Sarah Dessen's book. But they just made the storytelling more cinematic and more fluid in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it was really interesting to hear that, you know, Sarah did have a hand in making the movie, but she was, she told the director, like, go forth, like, do whatever you want. Like, the book is mine, but this movie is yours. And so it is, it is just a different interpretation of the same story, which is just, it's really cool. I also think it was really helpful to have uh, a woman adapting and directing it because I think she got so much more into the, complexities of Auden's relationship with Heidi and her mom than maybe another adaptation might have. Yes, absolutely. This is why we need more female directors and filmmakers because you do get that nuance that I don't think a male would have necessarily been able to mine from the story. So I, I loved I loved that. Do you have an all-time favorite adaptation of something? Ooh, that is... Oh, that's hard. Because I feel like I, I love different adaptations for different reasons. I know some people get down on the the Hunger Games adaptations, but I thought they did such a great job with those movies that like those are those are always, you know, pretty high up on my list. Even though they didn't need to split the last one into two, I, I really loved how each of the characters felt so perfectly cast from who they were in the books. Um, mm. So yeah, those those are some of my favorites. Yeah, and I know we're both still anxiously awaiting Meg Cabot's mediator series to be turned into the paranormal (laughs) television series of our dreams. (laughs) I am so, so excited for that. That is, uh, it's no matter what they do with that. I'm, it's going to be so cool to actually see that on screen because that is one of the best book series of all time. Yeah. It's so good. I have a maybe challenging question for you. If you were going to live in your own YA novel, would you want to be the heroine suddenly thrust into a paranormal adventure, possessing powers she didn't know she had, 
Or would you want the like summer coming of age love story? Oh my gosh, that's so, that's so hard. Could I do both where it's my summer coming of age story, but I'm also thrust into a paranormal world and I find new powers? Because <laughs> that would be the dream. Yes. <laughs> I love it. CW, option that shit right now. <laughs> I would love that. That would that would be my dream come true. <laughs> okay, well, that was all of my questions. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining me and talking about YA adaptation and along for the ride and, you know, why we love these sensitive emo teenage boys. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes a lot of sense that, like, these are... These are the guys that I find myself going after in my 30s because they're the ones that I've always crushed after. <laughs> yeah, Sarah Dawson knows how to make like a emotionally complex, silent bad boy pull at the heartstrings. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, on that note, <laughs> that is all for today with Sydney. And when we come back from the break, we will get into our interview with Sarah Dawson and the director and cast of Along for the Ride. Along for the Ride was first published in 2009, and then it got optioned in 2019. So Sarah and Sophia, can you tell me more about the journey of getting here over the last decade or so? I can say, yes, the book was published in 2009. And at the time, I've always said it's hard to kind of get my books broken down to like one sentence, you know, that's easy to pitch, like girl falls in love with vampire or whatever, you know, like the the easy thing. It's always like, oh, there's this girl. And then these things happen. Um, and my agent used to joke with me that we just needed to wait until my readers were old enough to be in development positions. And that's kind of what happened because a girl named Alyssa Rodriguez was laying by a pool in Arizona, you know, reading my books when she was in high school and college. And when she got to a point where she could option something, she was very interested in them. So it's it's a wonderful thing to have a book that's kind of already out there and has had its own life. And now it can be this totally new, cool thing. Yeah. And Sophia, how did you come to the project? I actually had not read Sarah's books previously. This was my first introduction to them, which I think was kind of a positive because it meant I got to come to them with fresh eyes and be like, okay, what's the movie version of this? As opposed to having like read a book and loved it and then trying to like struggling to find the movie in the book that I'd read and didn't really want to change anything in. Um, and so, yeah, what, after the book had been optioned, Alyssa sort of found me and sent me the book and asked if I would be interested in adapting it. And I read it and immediately saw the movie and immediately loved it and knew how I would do it and said, I would absolutely love to adapt it, but only if you also let me direct it. And luckily she said yes. She and all the other producers involved, Brian and Cliss and the team at Netflix. And then I started writing it uh, in summer of 2019, I think, Sarah, is that when we first talked? That's Maybe right. Yeah. So it feels like a very long time ago, pre-pandemic. <laughs> um, and the very first thing that I did was Sarah and I had like an epic, like three hour long conversation where we talked about the book and what was important to her and what was important to me. And I think luckily and kismetly, we were both just incredibly aligned on what those things were. And so then from there, it felt 
easy for the next couple of months until the world shut down. We took a little break and we came (laughs) back to start filming it in the spring of 2021. Sophia, what propelled you to put in that stipulation of directing it? Was it just that you saw it so cinematically when you read it? There was that. It was that I knew how I would make the movie. But I think also, you know, I'd just done two YA adaptations as a screenwriter. I did uh, the first to All the Boys I Loved Before and also the second one. And so for me, in terms of my own career and what felt exciting and challenging, I feel like just coming in as the screenwriter and writing the script and creating this adaptation was something I'd just done, you know? And so I knew I could do it and I knew I could do it well, but there wasn't a huge challenge in there for me. But if I could also direct it and both make the movie exactly as I saw it and wanted to make it, but then take on that added added challenge of directing my first movie, that felt incredibly exciting to me. And for Emma and Belmont, how familiar were you with Sarah's work coming into this project and, and how helpful was the novel to you in your process? We had different experiences with the Sarah Dessen universe. Um, <laughs> Emma had been a reader previously, right? Sort of. I, I, well, I hadn't read along for the ride before auditioning. All of my friends were obsessed with it. So yeah. when I told them I had this audition, yeah, they did. all freaked out. Yeah. And then once I auditioned initially, I got the book and have read it many, many times since. <laughs> and it sort of was like a Bible for me. It's from Auden's perspective. So it was like a really special resource. Yeah. I hadn't read the book when I auditioned or until I got the part. For me, the book was like super useful resource to understand the world of Colby. Yeah. I think the way that Sarah painted that setting was extremely helpful. And when we, then the way that Fia translated it was also helpful. And then when we showed up in North Carolina, I was like, well, I'm here right now. It was kind of a trip um, to be like submerged in it. But yeah, no, I, I used the screenplay um, predominantly to build character and I'm super grateful for the Sarah Dessen universe that gave us this opportunity. <laughs> Sarah, uh, this is the second time your books have been made into a film because How to Deal in 2003 was based on two of your novels. How did this experience compare? What was different about it? Oh, just very different. I mean, the world is different for starters. You know, the fact that we are streaming things. I mean, 2003 Mm-hmm. long time ago. Um, <laughs> these people, I don't even want to think about how young these people were in 2003. I don't even want to. Man, Mandy Moore is playing an old woman now. I know, exactly. <laughs> Crazy. First, they took two books, you know, that weren't really related and put them into one script. So I always knew it was a little bit different. Whereas with this one, Fia and I had this conversation and I felt like she just got it, you know, and as much as I enjoyed everything about how to deal and it was great for my books, I just feel like with this one book and that she really understood the story, she was a new mom and there's a new mom in the book. And I wrote the book when my daughter was an infant. So we just meshed on so many things and it's just been a dream. I mean, the fact that they were able to film in North Carolina, I live in North Carolina, I'm from here, um, was just amazing. Like in COVID, I get to get in my car and drive two hours and pull up at a beach where these people are all dressed as my characters. Like it was the most insane thing. I kept having to go breathe in various places, you know, away. I was trying to be really cool in front of everybody, but it's a lot, you know, it's just, wow. So it's been very different because I've been allowed to be really involved. I think partially because they were filming here. So I was able to go down and also, Because I was just, they, you know, I talked to Fia and I definitely had a lot of conversations with the producers, you know, along the way too. So it's been great. Yeah. And then for Emma and Belmont and Sarah as well, like, 
what was that relationship like between the three of you? You said the book was a huge resource for you, but you also had Sarah there too. So, so how did that work? (laughs) The same way that like when Sarah was on the film set, she was just so excited and almost overwhelmed. (laughs) We felt the exact same way meeting her. We were like, Sarah, without you, none of us are here. Um, So it was like such a cool blending of, of the two spaces. Having the author on set was was extremely useful for us. We had a lot of great times with Sarah when we were out there. And uh, yeah, we're so glad that she was nearby and was able to join us so much. I have a distinct memory of, I didn't, I don't think I realized when Sarah was going to come and we were <laughs> shooting the prom scene and we were very much in it. And I remember seeing from a distance her up on the pier yeah. and grabbing Bella and freaking out because <laughs> she is, you know, she's the reason of the world. She created it. Yeah. And it was so exciting. And then, and yeah, we got to pick her brain a bit and it was just so great. Everyone was so collaborative and we got to just like explore the characters through so many different ways. Yeah. I walked into like this big scene and everyone's in these amazing costumes and I walk up and there they all are. And Emma sees me and pokes Bell and they both turn around and wave at me. And I like burst into tears and I'm trying to control uh-huh. myself and have to walk away. And Alyssa Rodriguez comes up and then she starts crying. We're both crying. I was like, so unprofessional. Stop. You know, but it was just, there are these moments that you just can't imagine. Like this book that started in my head over in my kitchen Island when my daughter was a baby is now this, it's just mm-hmm. unbelievable. You know, it just feels like the greatest gift in the world. It's amazing. For Belle and Emma, did you guys have one piece of advice or insight from Sarah that like really <laughs> clicked for you <laughs> with your characters? Well, I would say prior to filming, I actually hadn't talked to Sarah and it was mostly through Fia. And however, I feel like I had a way into Sarah through the book. Mm-hmm. Um so actually, I feel like we started building characters prior to talking to Sarah. Yeah, I think we did. Well, we did a lot of character work with Fia when we yeah. first all got together in North Carolina. But like you said, the direction that Fia gave us was just an extension of of Sarah's um, Sarah's universe, too. So yeah. uh, it wasn't until Sarah came to set that we got to talk about character with her. Um, but yeah, we got we got a little advice from both of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't need me. I mean, by the time I got down there, they knew what they were doing. And I knew, you know, it was, it's kind of like apples and oranges. Like I, I love my apple. I did great with this, but this is is orange, you know, and I want her to, (laughs) so it's like, and I appreciate, like, I get it. Like the script is a totally different thing from the book. And I would think it would be confusing in some ways. I don't know. I'm not an actor. Thank God. I'd be terrible. But that if you read the book and then read the script, you'd have all this other stuff kind of clogging your head that is not necessary. And you probably have enough you have to keep up there again. So I, I'm interested, with, I think with Sophia, you know, she, she, we talked about this already today about how she was able to sort of take all the really important stuff and amplify it. And, and that's what I'm most grateful for. Yeah. Sophia, speaking of your orange, um, <laughs> as is the process with adaptation, things have shifted and moved around. You've made Eli and Auden's relationship more central and kind of bumped up where it starts in the storytelling, particularly with the, the quest. You've traded bowling for mini golf. Can you talk about those choices and then sort of how you approached all of that? Well, I'd say at the beginning... It was great to start with that conversation with Sarah because then I knew, and Sarah gave me great license in that conversation where she said, the book is the book and the movie is the movie. So feel free to do what you need to do. And that's just a great gift for an author to give a screenwriter because you have to change things. Like there's no way it's going to be exactly the same because you don't have the real estate in a movie that you do with a book to like go 
dig deep into everyone's backstory to keep all those stories alive. So you really have to boil it down to the essentials. And something I like to do when I start an adaptation is not read the book too many times because there's so much great stuff in a book. So I think if you read it too many times, you're like, and that detail is so good. I would love to get that in. And that detail is so good. And there's just no way to fit all of that in. But I think if you read it through on the first time, whatever you remember those are like, that's what's really important. That's the stuff that you really needs to be in the movie. And the stuff that you sort of doesn't stay with you after that first read maybe is like wonderful, but not essential. And so I try to do my outline in my first draft off of like one or maybe two reads, but not more than that. And then after that, I like to let the script be the script and to say, what do we have here? And how can I make this the best version of itself? And, you know, you'll go back to the book at times for reference or to see if you can deepen something, or maybe if there's something you're confused about. But once I have the script, I look, like to let that be the living thing because otherwise I think you can really confuse yourself sort of like what Sarah was saying about with the actors if you're trying to keep too many things in your head at one time and with the actors you know we talked a lot about character and there's the characters that exist in the book and then the characters that exist in the screenplay but what I really wanted Belmont and Emma to do was to discover these characters for themselves Mm -hmm. you know like this is what you read and this is what I can tell you and we can talk about anything you want to talk about but who is Auden to you who is Eli to you and they both kept character journals when they first got to North Carolina we both had like lengthy conversations about anything they wanted to talk about, but I really wanted them to find who these people were, not for me to tell them who these people were. I would say two of the bigger changes you've made is that Hollis, who is Auden's brother in the book, um, is gone. And also um, when Heidi and Robert are having their issues, it's Eli's mom in the book who sort of helps with the baby. And in the film, it is Auden's mom. Um, what drove both of those changes? Was it about simplifying? So the one about Eli's mom, I always knew I wanted that to be Victoria, both because Eli's mom is sort of a periphery character who's not really involved in the larger story. And in the book, there's so many different storylines. And in the movie, we actually have a lot of storylines for a movie, but you need to find a way to blend them all together and make them seem like one cohesive story. And Sarah mentioned this briefly, but the movie is so much about mothers and daughters. And Sarah was a new mother when she wrote it. And I was a new mother when I was adapting it. And there's this idea when you become a mom that you realize that your mother was always just a woman and a person, whereas you want her just to be a mother. And so I think you start to really have empathy for your parents as people once you have children yourself. Not that they did everything perfectly, not that they didn't make mistakes, but that was something we really wanted to explore in this story. And I think Auden starts the movie with a lot of sort of anger to her mom and the way she's been raised and kind of maybe more misplaced anger to her mom than her dad because her mom has been there and so she's seen the mistakes she's made, whereas her dad's sort of gotten a get out of jail free card by not being there. And she thinks if she'd been with him, maybe it would have been different. But then through the movie, she learns that's not necessarily the case. And so I think this idea of Auden sort of forgiving her mom a little bit and realizing that she did the best she could. And it doesn't mean their relationship's perfect, but they know that they love each other at the end. It really made sense for when she needed help for her to call that person who, though not perfect, had always been there for her. And that's her mom, you know, and then for her mom to come and help and to help her stepmother and 
you know, though Auden and Victoria both started out as characters who maybe judged Heidi for being a different kind of woman than they were, they also, you know, come to a place of mutual understanding and respect. And this idea that just because we're different doesn't mean we're enemies. And as a child of divorce myself, uh, my parents have never had the sort of divorce relationship you always see on television where like they hate each other and they said bad things about one another to me. They've always been friends. And my mom has always been friends with the women my dad has dated and now with my stepmom. And so I also wanted to show that like that is another way that people are divorced. And, you know, Kate Bosworth is a stepmother herself. And her relationship with her stepdaughter is one of the most important ones with her life in her life. And so when we talked for the first time, one of the things she said was, I'm so glad to see a stepmother stepdaughter relationship that's full of love and not full of hate. And so that was sort of, that was easy making that decision to have that be Victoria instead of Eli's mom. And then with Hollis, that one was a little harder. Hollis was in the script we filmed a whole conversation between Auden and Hollis. This wonderful actor, Brian Miskell, was voicing Hollis for that conversation. And we really, really tried to keep him alive. But in terms of simplifying the story and sort of giving Auden agency at the beginning of the movie, because in the original script, we had had this frame from the book that's sort of an Easter egg still in the movie, the best of times frame, and Hollis sort of asking Auden to fill it. But what we found was... It had to be Auden's decision to want to fill that frame, frame being a metaphor for living this other kind of life. And when you had it being her brother sort of telling her to do it, you took that agency away from her. And so it it sort of was just necessary, but we found out late that Hollis couldn't live in the movie yeah. the way we had anticipated. <laughs> Emma, you mentioned before the book is from... Auden's point of view, it's first person, which means we get a ton of her inner monologue on the page. Tell me more about the challenge of internalizing that and having to bring that to life when you're not necessarily verbalizing everything we have on the page. I think what was so great about the book is it they were it was a set of clues that I could use as I was filling out who Auden is. And like Fia was saying, for her, I read the book once and it, the most important thing to me was what stuck in my head. What were my first impressions? Um, how, what was she feeling? What were her insecurities? What does she care about? You know, I think what's so special about Auden and what's so relatable about Auden is a lot of what she says kind of contradicts what's going on internally. And it's precisely that tension that makes her so incredible and human and multifaceted and what drew me to her so much. So I think having the book I, you know, I, I'm a big journaler myself, so I would do long journal entries from her perspective, kind of channeling the book, channeling the script, channeling all the conversations. And then you kind of like let it all go when you get on set and see what arises naturally. But it was all just clues to continue to fill out her in this world, I think. Yeah. And Belmont, I think one of the defining features of Sarah's books is that she writes these quintessential teen hunks in a sense. So coming into that, I mean, was that intimidating? Like, how do you quiet that voice in your head of like, this character is attractive to a lot of people? Um, that I, I wasn't really too concerned with. Uh, Eli is is a pretty sensitive male lead. And so I got to play around with with his character quite a bit. And, and like Fia said, in the way that Sarah gave her license to adapt the, the screenplay from the novel in the 
in the world of you know a format that will work. Fia also gave us that license. So I brought a lot of myself to the character. His struggle was uh, like a personal one to me and the um, obstacles that he overcame, I felt connected to. So it was that dynamic of, you know, Eli is recluse um, and he is mysterious, but there's a lot more to him that he's just not allowing himself to experience. So playing around with that dynamic of, you know, Eli is the extrovert. He is the life of the party, but but he is choosing not to be um, was was a challenge and something that we worked on a lot. And I, <laughs> you know, I'm grateful for Sarah Dessen, um for for writing such such great male characters and, and being able to embody one of them. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. <laughs> very nice. Sarah, of you. <laughs> Sarah, with over ten years since you first wrote this, I mean, how do Emma and Belmont compare to the Alden and Eli in your head? Like, have they replaced the ones that were there when you were writing now? I think kind of. I mean, it's like I when you're writing is when it's the most important that they are really, really real in your head. And you know, with Auden, I'd always been interested in this idea of sort of effortless perfectionism, you know. Um, and I used to teach at UNC Chapel Hill and I had a lot of undergrads, these women who you know, they had to have perfect grades. They had to look good. They had to act really easygoing. They had to be able to hang out with the guys, but also be really cool with the girls, you know, and it and make it all look very easy at the same time. And I just was watching girls imploding, you know, left and right all around me as a as an instructor. So I I really liked the idea of this girl who had supposedly done everything right. And then suddenly, you know, she felt like maybe everything, I love the line about, you know, there's nothing about me you couldn't learn by looking at my transcripts because I was like the opposite. I was not a good student, but I have a lot of good stories. That's why I'm a writer, you know? Um, but I, I think enough time had passed too, that I wasn't so super connected and that's helpful too. Like, I think the book had already been out. It had done its own thing. It has its following. And I was just so pleased that it was the first one that they selected because I, I do feel like it's a very, it resonates right now. You know, I mean, I think it would resonate at any time, but there's so many things. And just going back to what Bell was saying about Eli, I think, you know, we all know that everyone is dealing with loss and with change, you know, after this pandemic, a lot of people, whether you're talking about it or not. And so I think people can relate to, you know, something happened to him and he doesn't want to talk about it. You know, it's not just him. And and I think there's just so much there in terms of that generation, too, of things that they missed and this bucket list of things. You know, you didn't get to go to prom. You didn't get to do these things because of the virus or whatever else. So it's just it's a good time for it. I really feel like Sophia, having done to all the boys before this, how did this compare? And, and what do you think makes YA so ripe for adaptation? Well, I mean, the, the biggest difference between this and To All the Boys is that I was directing this. So, you know, with To All the Boys, it was sort of a, a lovely experience writing it. I wrote it almost like I'd write a play. I, I, I remember that as being a very solitary experience of me alone in my writer space. And then I sent it off and they made it. And I was very lucky that I got to go into the edit room, which I love doing because it's where sort of the final draft of the story is created. But my experience with To All the Boys was all about story, both in the writing and then in the edit. Whereas my experience with Along for the Ride has been, you know, everything like working with Emma and Bowman on the other actors, working with our fantastic crew, working with Sarah. And so really creating the whole world has just been a dream and something I've really loved doing on this. And then as far as YA, I think that 
everyone is sort of always interested in self-exploration. You know, we all want to know why we made certain decisions or why we turned out the way we are, where our paths are going to lead or why they led the places we're going to lead or alternate realities we might've had. And I think we keep going back to YA because the age these characters are where they're making these decisions and the people they're falling in love with really become a part of you on, you know, your journey growing up, whether you remember why something became a part of you or not. And so I think sometimes when we think of these stories, we think like, oh, we love looking back on them because we're thinking about what falling in love was like. But it's really through the process of falling in love, we were discovering more about ourselves or becoming more of who we were going to be. And those people have sort of left an imprint on us, but it remains about yourself and you and who you are. And so I think that's why we love exploring these stories, but also, you know, thinking about our own selves at those ages. It's a time of lots of change. You know, you're you're sort of setting the stones for who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Yeah. For all of you, music is a huge part of this story. Sarah, you included a playlist in the back of the book. Oh my gosh, uh, I didn't even realize they were re-releasing that book without me updating. I hadn't even <laughs> looked at the playlist in years and I was like, oh goodness, but it oh, is goodness. like a time capsule from 2009. What I was yeah, a throwback it. playlist is just as good as a current this playlist. This is good, right? Yes. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but for the actors and for Sophia, like, did you reference that playlist and and how did you approach the music this time? I know you had Beach House as a partner here. So what was that like? Well, I had my own playlist. I I actually didn't even realize there was a playlist in the back of the book, but I had my own playlist that I wrote to and wrote some of those songs into the movie that were in the script and that are still in the movie. And, and I've always been a huge music fan. And so it, it was a very important part of just the world building and like the sonic identity for the movie. We talked about the music from the get-go. I would play Belle and Emma songs on set. Beach House being involved, they were the only person who I could think of doing the score. And if they'd said no, I don't know what we would have done. But our music supervisors, Jessica Burnt and Jane Abernathy, were incredible. And I sent them my own playlist, my writing playlist in prep. And then they sent me back a playlist sort of inspired by that one, but also we had talked about each character in the movie, what their tastes were. And so that playlist also included like, these are what we think these different characters would like. And then most of this music in the movie are a combination of that playlist that Jessica and Jane sent me in prep and the one that I made when I was writing. But yeah, it was very present throughout. And we taught Emma and Bell and I talked about it a lot. <laughs> music was huge for us. Fia and I and Emma had conversations about music constantly, and we used it to inspire a, a lot of elements uh, in performance and in, and in development. Um, I actually had my brother make me a playlist right before I got to North Carolina. He's like phenomenal at making playlists. So I told him everything I could about the character and about where I was going to be, and he sent me back a nice like nice folder of uh, of music that I used. And I leaned on and I rode my bike around um, Colby. Um, like every single day listening to it. And I know that Emma and Fia and I had tons of conversations. And I mean, we would be taking five or whatever and Fia would pull up a song like, this is kind of what I want this to feel like. And that was super, super useful. Yeah. Making playlists is my favorite thing about playing a new part. And with this one, the crazy thing, and Fia and I have talked about this, is I made a playlist before I arrived in North Carolina. And I made a playlist this time uh, with songs that, to me, represented Auden pre-moving to Colby and then post. 
Uh, so pre to me is like Fiona Apple, like kind of like the intellectual more type of music. And then after when she moves, I actually, most of my playlist was Beach House way before I knew they were doing the movie because they have that album mm-hmm. Teen Dream in 2010, which in the book came out in 2009. And it just feels like the air, the beach of being in Wilmington in North Carolina and in Colby. Um, so then when we found out that they were doing the movie, it was like, this is perfect. Yeah. It's super, it was important. Cause like every summer has a soundtrack. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like when you, th- you, you hear a song, you're like, Oh, that was this summer. So it was also helpful to get in the, the summer mindset of like, okay, what would they be listening to this summer? I remember when I pitched this movie, I said to the producers, like, I want this movie to have a soundtrack that the summer after it comes out, all the teenagers are listening to in their bar on the way to the beach. Yeah, they will be. It's a will be. Yeah. Before we turn the page, let's take a quick break. Welcome back to Screen After Reading. Let's get back into the conversation with the cast and crew that we booked for this episode. Sarah, do you find a lot of overlap between the actors and Sophia making a playlist to prep their storytelling and you having one as an author as you're writing? Yes. I mean, I way back I started doing because I always have sort songs that I'm listening to while I'm writing and and then I'll put them all in a playlist and then for along for the ride. I think was one of the first times that my publisher was like, well, let's write it up and give it to people. And always because like showing someone your playlist is kind of like showing someone your diary a little bit. You know, I mean, it's like they're the ones that are made for public and they're the ones that somebody picks up your phone and it's like, oh, what's this? And you're just like mortified because like I have the Muppets and John Denver or whatever, you know, on my phone. But, you know, I think it's very cool. And I have to say, I only had two asks. Um, about this movie. One was, I really wanted an Avett Brothers song to be in this movie um, because I am from North Carolina. The Avett Brothers are from North Carolina. They're my favorite band. And I just felt like it would be just very cool nod to North Carolina. The other one that was that my daughter would get to come to the set, but because of COVID that didn't work out, but you know, but we did, Sophia was so open to this. And, you know, again, her discretion, I said, I just want an Avett Brothers song in there somewhere. Yeah, so there's a a scene in the movie where one of the characters sings at um, a bonfire at a party. And we are trying to, and there's a joke in the movie that she always sings the same song. And we are trying to figure out what that song should be. And in my head, I was like, I feel like that would always be like a Fleetwood Mac song that someone's going to sing the same song at a bonfire all the time. (laughs) But Fleetwood Mac songs are very expensive. and But then also when I, Sarah said this thing, it was really early on that she was like, I want an Ava Brothers song in the movie. And, you know, the movie is meant to be timeless. It's meant that to feel like it could take place in any era. But because the book came out in 2009, I sort of think of parts of it as being like an homage to that era. So I went on the Ava Brothers Spotify page and I found their album that came out in 2009. And there's a song on it called January Wedding. And I listened to it and I was like, this is, <laughs> this is the bonfire song. Mm-hmm. And then we were so lucky that Samia Finnerty uh, plays Esther and Samia is sort of an indie rocker and amazing performer. And so she sang that song for us and it was just magical and beautiful. And it's, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie, but it was the absolute perfect song. And I never would have found it if it wasn't for Sarah saying, I remember you said, it's more important to have an Ava Brothers song in the movie than for me to be in the movie. And I said, Sarah, I think we can do both. (laughs) I was really at a point where I thought it had to be one or the other, you know, and I was like, ready. you only had so many asks. (laughs) I know. 
<laughs> she was my great negotiator. <laughs> it's funny too because the joke in the movie is that like oh we're so tired of hearing that song but every time logan would pick up the guitar and samuel would open her mouth we would like it no. was just the most magical thing i could not get enough of it yeah <laughs> one of the distinguishing features of this story is that eli and auden's time is the nighttime, and then that's when they hang out how does that complicate filming both <laughs> as a director and as an actor i can imagine that that's a challenge we just had a lot of night shoots, like a lot, a lot of night shoots. And Sorry, you guys. <laughs> it's funny because you brought up the the mini golf scene before that how it used to be a bowling alley. And, you know, I would guess because this was my first movie that I directed, I wasn't really thinking about life on set when I was writing these things. And I remember saying like mini golf is so much more summery than bowling. And it's also so much more cinematic than bowling. And so it should be mini golf because it's going to look beautiful. And everyone has these memories of like these East coast summer beach towns and these mini golf courses. And then we're on the mini golf course and it's 50 degrees and we're freezing and Emma's in this tiny, tiny dress. And we have like seven different night exterior lighting setups, which take a long time and are very complicated. And our first AD, I told her that in the book, it was in a bowling alley. And she just looked at me with like daggers in her eyes. And was like, a bowling alley we could film day for night. A bowling alley has beer. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. Well, when I got into town, I don't know if this was a similar experience for you, but like I got into Carolina Beach at night and the pier was like loud. I was like, this is a happening place. So I like went down, like had a beer. It's like the middle of the night. And uh, just from then on, I was basically nocturnal because we didn't have much of a choice. We were shooting so much stuff at night and then we got used to it. I mean, we were finishing um, shoots and the sun was coming up and that was just kind of our schedule. Um, but it was, I, I mean, it was perfect. We basically lived the sleep, sleep schedule that our characters did, yeah. except for, you know, Monday mornings when we would have to start early and like we'd be up filming until, you know, Saturday morning and then we'd have to start Monday morning. But I found it super enjoyable. And a lot of those night shoots were just an absolute blast. There was that few week stretch where all of, all of us kids were together and like that was just so much fun. Yeah, I think it's intense, but it was so fun. Yeah. And I think what's so special about night is it's like, you know, everyone's asleep. We ordinarily shouldn't be awake. And yet we're all of these people. We've created this ecosystem, creating this movie. Uh, Auden and Eli are making memories. And it's like precisely because nobody else is awake that they get so close. And so similarly, you know, we got so close with the cast and the crew because we're all up at 4 a.m. in a food fight with food all over, swimming in the ocean at 5 a.m. Like these things that were so fun. I'll remember forever. And so it kind of like it added to the. But we had like no choice but to be immediately endeared to one another because we were just going through these things all together. (laughs) 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 But it was a great group of people to do it with. Uh, We had so much fun. Well, speaking of the food fight, I was going to ask about that because it's uh, a major turning point in both the novel and the film for for the character's relationship. But um, I, I could imagine that was messy to film. Like, what 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 was that like? Man, it was a blast. We spent a lot of time on food fight, and uh, over the course of the evening, you know, everybody's like mustard was just drying to their shirt. So, but the smell did not dissipate in any capacity. It only got stinkier. The thing is, we got kind of like got the least of it because we have a week start the food fight and then we go into the house and have a scene just the two of us meanwhile everyone else is 
doing like a long, very real, very coleslaw, noodle filled ketchup food fight where we, and we got to take shelter. But I remember when we did it, we have to run into the house and the food fight, everyone became very primal and animalistic. Like something it was, competitive. Was, it was very competitive. And I remember getting like pushed and Belle had to like pull me inside <laughs> and we had like egg salad cake to yeah. our bodies. But again, it's like, that was so fun. And I've never been in a food like Auden. A lot of these experiences I've actually never done before. So I was like, <laughs> how long did it take you to get the baked beans out of your hair? Oh man. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like, yes, the beans come out in the shower, but the smell takes like a little bit longer. And then like the, the physical memory of having a crown of beans that kind of trickles on your back. That also takes a little while to, um, we had you for like out. at least an hour on your mark, just like placing the beans, like making sure they're in the same place the for continuity. <laughs> but they also were up against it time-wise that night because we shot that whole party in one day. So we had a really long day. We had almost six pages plus a food fight. And so we had no time to set up between food fight takes. So we had one shot to get the food fight. So we did the potato salad smear on Eli's face many times. And then Belle and I had a little secret code for when he was going to dump the beans on Emma, which we did so that Emma didn't know it was happening. But then with the food fight, we we just had to get it. So we had two cameras that day and our DP and our setting him up went in handheld with trash bags over their heads and over their cameras. And we were just like, all right, everyone, you just have to go for it. And they will be in the food fight filming. But like, this is our one shot. Don't hold back. And it was it was chaos. <laughs> and it's important to know that Alyssa Rodriguez, our one of our executive oh, yeah. producers, is heavily featured in the food fight um, because she wanted to be, well, she wanted to be in the background of, of anything. And it just happened that food fight was the scene that we picked for her. <laughs> and she was, I mean, if you watch, like I like to say that Alyssa won the food fight because oh, yeah. she, she really, really was aggressive. Yeah, she had ketchup and mustard bottles <laughs> and she was like going, at, it was real. <laughs> it was tactical. I mean, I got to give it up. She, she nailed it. Well, it was um, COVID. So we were always were coming up against a problem where we didn't have enough background actors because we could only book 40 background actors per scene or per day. And then sometimes they wouldn't even all show up. And especially when you're doing something like filming a food fight, maybe people are like, I don't want to be in a food fight. I'm not going to go be a background actor today. And so that day we were like anyone on set who can be in this food fight. And I remember my assistant, Caleb Brooks was like, I'll be at the party, but I don't want to be in the food fight. And Alyssa, God bless her, was like, I'm in. (laughs) And she just like really, really went for it. (laughs) Well, Sophia, one of the things that Auden talks about with the quest is that these are things she's seen teenagers do in pop culture. So were there particular pop culture food fights that were touchstones for you? I think you can't help but think of something like Animal House in this instance. Well, actually, like Sarah, I think Sarah said earlier that she wasn't a great student, but has a lot of stories. And that is sort of could equally be a description of me. (laughs) And when I was in high school, I think it was my summer between high school and college. I had a very intense cake fight with a friend a summer I lived in Maine. And so it wasn't necessarily like a pop culture reference that I was referencing I was like oh it was like that cake fight with me and Morgan like and then for the night swim that's something that I had also done one summer in college with a bunch of friends from a party in San Diego like we were at this party at a house and someone just screamed like let's go swimming and we all stormed the beach like a bunch of wild animals in the middle of the night from this party and so 
I think I was more drawing from my own life necessarily than things I'd read about or seen in books in a really fun way. Cause then we would be filming them and I would like tell the cast all these stories. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I would like forget that I'd done something and be like, Oh, that's why I put this in the script. I did this once. <laughs> I'd be like, you don't remember. I'd be like, no, now it's just like the movie to me. <laughs> Sarah, you do have a lot of these set pieces in the book, including the food fight. Was there something you were most excited to see brought to life? I I loved the idea of Auden learning how to ride the bike. And that turns out to not be like as huge as like, we're all talking about the food fight a lot more and everything, but I have to give credit to Emma because there is a great montage scene where you just, it is Auden in a nutshell. It's like, she is not giving up, you know, and she is going to keep going. And it's just, I loved that because some of this came from me being a new mom, but it also came from me seeing something on television about people in New York who were like in their twenties that it never learned to ride a bike and we're going to Central Park to take lessons and how terrifying it was and I thought it would be really scary to learn to ride a bike when you're an adult because when you're a kid you just don't even know what falling off a bike really feels like but as an adult you're well aware of you know what's going to happen so I loved that and I loved how it sort of builds to that in many ways. There's a good tidbit about that because they had Emma in makeup sometimes for bruises following that <laughs> that scene. And the next day, I said to Lindsay DeSarno, one of her makeup artists, wow, that looks fantastic. And Emma's like, that is a real bruise. <laughs> and because she was going down. I mean, you took a lot of falls. This was one of the very first days we were shooting. And this is like a dream come true experience for me and one of my first of this scale and so I was like well I'm gonna go for it and I'm not gonna stop until they need me to and I'm never gonna say that I'm hurting and I'm always gonna and and so I was like let's let's do this and we just did so many takes but it was so fun because they actually let me fall and they taught me how to fall and um yeah I did end up with very so many bruises that we had to then cover up with makeup but it's all part I mean that's the whole BMX thing right it's like they're what is it what do they say in the book it's like they're like battle scars that you're proud of. Right. So I was like, yeah, I had <laughs> They're badges of honor. You definitely got your first battle scar. Emma was such a champ that day. She <laughs> fell off that bike so many times and like got up with a smile and was like, I'm okay. Let's go again. <laughs> You know, it's called along for the ride. Um, so whether it's the BMX stuff or Auden learning to ride, um, that's a big part of the storytelling. So both as actors and director, I mean, what was it like filming that? I would imagine there's a stunt team involved and then yeah. things like that. It was it was super cool. I actually grew up riding a BMX bike and I took it to the curb the summer before I got the job. And I was like, well, that's the end of that. And then I showed up in North Carolina. They're like, here, get on this bike. And I was like, absolutely. And it was like so much nicer than the one I used to have as a kid. And so I was super excited to like reinvigorate my passion because in middle school, I told my mom, I'm going to be a professional BMX rider. I don't care what you say. And she's like, it's just a phase. And I was like, no, this is what I'm going to do. So of course that's, that didn't pan out, but then I got to, I got to live it for like a few months in North Carolina um, working with the stunt team was one of my favorite parts of doing this film. Our stunt coordinator, Peter King, is like this rugged, tactically built dude with like the biggest heart and just the nicest guy. Um, my stunt double, Rob Armour, is a professional BMX rider in North Carolina. And watching what he could do on the bike was just unfathomable. I got to hang out with him, a couple other pro riders, and uh, even like take some lessons with Ryan Nyquist, who is literally like the goat of BMX, um, which was an absolute trip for me because like, I knew these guys growing up watching X Games and everything. 
And then to like go to Ryan Nyquist's house in his backyard, like at the park and just like hang out and go to parks with groups of guys uh, around town and just kind of like, you know, see how they hang out. How do they hang out on the bike? Like all those little intricacies of, of that community was extremely fulfilling for me. I loved it. And Sophia, I mean, this being your first movie you directed, you know, BMX biking sequences are not a two shot of two people talking. So, I, I mean, was that intimidating? What, 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 how did you come at it? It was surprising. Well, so we're at, you know, the Ogden Skate Park for the BMX sequence at this huge bowl, like so many stunt performers. Rob Armour, who Bill mentioned, is incredible. We've got these huge cranes. We're doing all of these wild shots. And I'm drinking a Red Bull for the first time since college. And I looked around and thought, like, I'm a playwright. Like, how am I directing this BMX movie? (laughs) How did that happen? I like if you had asked me like 10 years ago, like, what do you think your first movie is going to be about? I think it would have taken me many answers to get to extreme sports. But it's like, I think we're going to do the double tail whip in a wide. (laughs) (laughs) But it was such a part of the story, you know, it was just so present in there. And we, I mean, Luca Del Pupo, the DP and I like meticulously shot listed this movie for weeks in prep. And so by the time we got there, it just felt very exciting and I felt prepared and ready for it. But it was also incredibly surprising. Like when I took those moments to step outside myself and the situation, I was just sort of astounded by what we were doing it seemed a little yeah. off brand, but <laughs> you're like, I thought I was directing a rom com. Yeah. Sarah, when you're writing that in the aughts, was that very much of the moment? Because, like, I seem to remember growing up, there was a lot of Disney Channel original movies about BMX biking. Yeah, I mean, I think it did have a, a period, but when I was writing that book, my husband had gotten back into writing. And so we actually had like a, a jump park in our backyard. We had a pump track, which. And so, you know, while I was working on this book with my baby, you know, I'd look out and someone would be just flying by, you know, because people would come over to do the jumps and everything. And then eventually my husband broke his sternum jumping. And so that kind of knocked him out of the biking for a while. And then he went into racing cars. So no book about that yet. But I grew up with guys on BMX, you know, um, here in Chapel Hill, where I grew up, we used to all go downtown and all the boys I hung out with rode BMX and they had half pipes at their houses. And it was just like, it was that in skateboards, you know, growing up here. And cause I was asked since it's at the beach, why aren't they surfing? I was like, well, I don't know anything about surfing, <laughs> but I know things about BMX because if you hang around enough, you know, you can learn about anything. So, um, and it just lent itself really well also to, to this story. Cause I think it is such a, a primal sort of, coming of age thing to learn how to ride a bike and whether you know, or whether you don't and Auden being so perfect in checking every box, this is a pretty big box, you know, not to have checked. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask about the prom at the end of the story. It's moved from sort of this community bash to more of an impromptu prom that Auden's friends throw for her. Sophia, how did you come to that change? So I knew I didn't want it to be a community event because I didn't want the end of our like teen rom-com to have all the adults there. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't as fun. Um, But (laughs) I think about like the story of the movie, I think if this were real life, for me, the story ends at that moment after they have their sort of 
reconciliatory talk in the skate park. And, you know, it's clear that they are not angry at one another anymore. They forgive one another. They understand one another. But it's not really sure they're it's not really clear if they'll have a relationship after that moment. And I think that's very real where you have you go through these experiences with someone and then you're like, we're cool. But you don't know if that door is necessarily open Mm -hmm. for something more. But then that moment where she looks in the mirror the next morning and she slept through the night and she takes a shower and she looks at herself. And in that moment, I think she just feels like, okay, all of this stuff happened and I'm okay with myself. Like I went through this summer and I'm good. And I think that's the real life place the movie ends or maybe the indie movie version of where the movie ends. But because it's a teen rom-com and because we're in the business of wish fulfillment, that moment after you feel like I'm good with myself, of course you want the guy you like to be sitting on your lawn in a tuxedo. You know, that's just like the next place. And so then this idea that it's just the kids and they're like, we are going to throw this prom for you, but it's really a party for all of us. I just felt like was so fun. And, you know, we've seen a lot of proms that are like the traditional prom at prom. And I think in my first draft of the movie, my initial idea was that they would go back to the pie shop and it wouldn't even be like, all of these kids would just be their best friends, like our core group at the pie shop. And they might not even necessarily be dressed up. It's just like Auden gets to wear her dress and they're like, it's your prom. And Auden and Eli have invited the group back to their secret place to open it up because it's not just about the two of them. It's about everyone. But that didn't feel quite exciting enough or big enough. And thank God we didn't do it because that pie shop was just legitimately not big enough. Um, (laughs) But it's such a summer movie that where do you want to be? Like you want to be on the beach. And I think the party that we created and the prom that we created it's not so specific as to like, if you didn't go to your high school prom, you couldn't do something like this. Like the idea of getting dressed up with your friends and dancing on the beach and playing games and eating pizza, that's something we could do at any age. And then again, a personal story. I was once at a wedding where we all jumped in the water in our formal wear. And so that, (laughs) oh, it's just so fun. Like, it's just, it's just so fun. Like, I love that they run into the water and their dresses at the end. And it's just like, yes, I wanted to wear this dress, but it's also not about the dress. It's about being with my friends and being with Eli and having this great time. Yeah. Emma and Belmont, it looked cold. Was it cold? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it was. Well, so this was, I don't think it was that cold. I think we made it look warm. Yeah. (laughs) It was like the last day that a lot of the friend group actors were there. And so after shooting with them for a couple of weeks, we all got extremely close. And so to then have this celebration that really did feel like a celebration, we were just able to have fun mm-hmm. on the beach and they were handheld cameras. So we were really able to just like have fun with each other. Yeah. It really like genuinely felt like a celebration, just like it is in the movie. It was, I actually have to say, I think that was my absolute favorite yeah. shooting. Yeah. We had already done night swim at that point. So it wasn't yeah. cold at all. <laughs> we, we had so much fun though. Like Emma said, we just got, it was like a nice big send off for, oh, for the rest of the cast. It was so and fun. Um, we'd gotten together on the weekends and now we got to do it on camera. We, we just had a blast. It There's was wonderful. Pizza. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> actually was super good at that. So I don't know if you'd call thank him cornhole, you. but you were talented. It was beginner's luck, yeah. but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that there's a shot in the movie where Emma gets it in and Bell's like, 
but it was like a legit reaction. Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> because my hand-eye coordination is astonishingly bad. Is, and so it was really a miracle that that happened on camera. That was first try, too. I mean, like on camera, you just, you just never failed it. Press me. Okay. <laughs> that song that we play at Beach Bash, it's a girl's song called Lust for Life. We played that about 10 oh, million times while we were doing the Beach Bash. So everyone was thoroughly sick of that song by the end of the day. And I'm sure the just beach goers on Carolina Beach were as well because it was <laughs> hours and hours of that song being played. That song was when I was in middle school. That was one of my favorite songs of all time. And I was like, <laughs> this is what being a teenager feels like. This is what this is lust for life. It's amazing. And so then it kind of also felt so perfect. Yeah. Would be. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, I think the final beach bash is a perfect place for us to end things. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so it was much. so nice talking Thank to you. you. that's it for this chapter of Screen After Reading. If you liked what you heard, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me, at the Maureen Lee. This episode of Screen After Reading is hosted by Maureen Lee Linker, produced by Maureen Lee Linker, Clarissa Cruz, Chanel Johnson, and Sammy Junio edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.